Well, we're going to uh, start this morning by uh, turning to the Bible. Uh, That's what we always do, and we're going to do that again today. If you would please stand. And um, the sermon text is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. You'll find it uh, in the Pew Bible on page 909, uh, or you can look at it in the bulletin insert. This is... Luke, the author of the book of Acts, uh, writing the opening of this book. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd be pleased to send that same powerful spirit upon us that you sent upon the church there at the beginning of Acts. We pray that the spirit would open our cold and resistant hearts and give us grace that we might hear your word, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please sit down. Uh, Court, it really is great to have you back with us. We had a lovely dinner over at Kathleen's. Every dinner at Kathleen Barclays is lovely. Uh, we had a lovely dinner, uh, sort of spending some time with Court and getting to know a little bit more about her and her life. I'm one of those new faces that uh, she's just getting to know. Many of you have known her her whole life. And I got to tell you, what a, what a joy it was to visit with someone who is uh, doing so much of what Acts is about. Uh, I am very grateful for the way the Lord just seems to always help me prepare my sermons by putting right in front of me glaring, beautiful, powerful, vivid examples of what we're looking at in our uh, sermon series. Uh, I guess it's because I'm so dense and thick-headed. He he regularly sort of uh, peppers my life with uh, glimpses into the kind of thing we're actually looking at, and that could not be more true today as we open to Acts chapter 1. Now, uh, the very alert among you will say, now wait a minute, Bill, uh, Acts 1, uh, last I remember we were in Acts 20-something, 
Uh, What are we doing back in Acts chapter 1? Well, I thought after a year and a half, did you know we started our series on Acts in January 2020? Uh, A sermon which I listened to this week by the legendary Dr. Paul Fowler, uh, who preached from this pulpit opening this series, a sermon that he called Truths That Transform. And uh, that was uh, a few months ago. (laughs) And uh, it was also more than just chronologically a while ago. It's so much has happened. We've, we've gone through a COVID pandemic that we just prayed about. We've, we've seen a transition in our church with a new pastor, and we've welcomed a whole bunch of new friends, and we've, we've seen all kinds of challenges, all kinds of opportunities. And I just thought, you know, let's go right back to the beginning of the book. We're going to start again with our series, Where We Left Off, Don't Worry, But I thought, let's recalibrate, let's reorient and go right back to the beginning of this book so that we can continue along the way on the same firm foundations that Dr. Fowler uh, set for us in place uh, many, many months ago. So we're going back to the beginning of Acts. It's also helpful to me because we did a little mini-series on the book of Jonah And uh, so this morning, I'm going to take the opportunity to sort of correct a couple of misimpressions I might have left as we made our way through the wonderful book of Jonas. I'll explain that as I go along. Um, We're looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and it begins in verse 1. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Uh, If I could title this first section of my sermon, I'm going to call it The Doing God. Uh, The God whom we worship is not sort of on a celestial sideline rooting for us and cheering for us and hoping we get it right, sort of uh, divinely crossing his fingers and hoping that this muddled bunch of sinners will actually accomplish the work that he wants us to accomplish. Uh, That's not the God we worship. Uh, the God we worship is a doing God. He's the God of initiation. He's the God who actually leads the way where he wants us to go. In the, in the incarnation of Jesus, he actually becomes the God who comes out onto the field visually. He's, he's there with us. He's not on the sidelines cheering for us. He's actually among us, with us, at work, doing what only he can do. And Acts opens with Luke just commenting that in his two volumes, he has two volumes, volume one, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, That's the first book. It's a record of what Jesus began to do. And volume two, here in the book of Acts, is the record of what Jesus continued to do through the apostles, through the work of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to see as we continue through the book of Acts is a lot of stuff that a lot of people are a part of. There's a lot of doing by Paul and other actors who are part of the story of Acts. But let's never forget that the the primary doer in the book of Acts is God himself. God himself, of course, revealed to us perfectly in his son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who came into the world to work alongside us. God 
is a doing God. And that is very, very, very good news. Um, I hope some of you have gotten to know uh, Jordan McFarland, who's sitting there trying to, uh, there he is, waving. Uh, Jordan's a young man who the Lord brought to our church, and I've enjoyed getting to know Jordan. It's interesting to me how many new people God's bringing to our church. Uh, I will mention we're doing a new members class in August. Uh, There is one family that will significantly increase the number of our church just by going through our new member class. Uh, God's bringing whole families, big families sometimes, that are exploring membership at, at uh, Metro Crest. He's also bringing individuals. Uh, and so it's been good getting to know Jordan. Well, in our conversations, Jordan was uh, talking to me about his interest in uh, R.C. Sproul's book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And we started talking about it, and we got copies of the book, and he and I were talking about studying it. Then Rob and Donna Guzak, who were sitting next to Jordan, they said, well, let's do a class. So Rob and Donna, who lead a wonderful online uh, care group, are starting a study of evangelism and the sovereignty of God. Let me commend it to you most highly. If you are interested in this wonderful book written by uh, Dr. J.I. Packer, a hero of mine, then uh, speak to Rob, speak to Donna, call the church office. We can uh, send you details uh, on this brilliant book. Um, I mention it because in the book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, Dr. Packer explains the basis for evangelism and the basis for mission. You know what the basis for mission is? You know what the basis for evangelism is? Do you know what the basis for courts work is it's the sovereignty of the God who is at work in his world there is no missionary who has ever seen a person turn to Christ there is no evangelist who has ever seen someone begin a a relationship with Jesus who is not seeing the work of the doing God He's the one who stirs us to be interested in mission. He's also the one who stirred us at the beginning of our Christian life to turn to him in the first place. He's the one who over the generations has been putting together all the different pieces of our life and work so that you and I can do the work that he has entrusted to us. You see, he's the doing God. The sovereign God is the doing God. And that should give us humility and and also great confidence. And Dr. Packer writes eloquently and extensively about how the very basis for evangelism, the very basis for all mission is actually the sovereignty of God. And I want to remember that through the book of Acts. I want to remember that as we conclude our study of the book of Acts, that every single thing we see is a manifestation of the work of the doing God who has gone before, who has put everything in place to accomplish his perfect purposes. We can't always understand them. We can't always decipher them. Sometimes we can. 
But we can't always know exactly what's going on, but we can trust him. And it's that trust, I think, which gives us great confidence in him. So point one, the doing God. The work that Jesus began to do and that he continues to do is the basis, not only for the book of Acts, but for all Christian ministry. It's interesting that as Luke describes uh, this beginning of Jesus' work, he mentions not only doing what Jesus did, going among the people and doing all that he did, as it's recorded in Luke's gospel and in the other gospels, but he also began to teach The doing God, point one, is also point two, the teaching God. The God whom we worship is interested in you and me understanding what he's doing. He's not a God who lives completely separated from us. You know, um, Islam is one of the great religions of the world. It's a religion that's very predominant in the part of the world where court works and lives. Uh, Islam is, a very, is one of the great religions of the world, and uh, there are all kinds of things we could say about Islam, and uh, this is not the time or place to get into a big discussion of Islam, but one of the stark differences between Christianity and Islam is that the God of Christianity is the God who really wants us to understand. He's not simply a God sort of disconnected out in space, uh, a monad, disconnected from reality, disconnected from humanity. He's actually a God of relationship. In fact, one of the distinctive features of the Christian faith, the Christian God whom we worship, is that he lives in community. He is himself within his own life. There is this threeness, which we call the Trinity, uh, made up word that's given to us to, to help us kind of begin to understand what the life of God is like. Within the life of God, there is this threeness. And that relationship, that, that internal relationship within the life of God is basic to what our God is like. There's life within himself and there is love within himself that overflows to us, and through us. That separates us in many ways from the God of Islam. Uh, there's much we could say about that, but that, that relationality is extremely important. And the other part about that is the God whom we worship is, is a God who speaks to us and wants us to understand himself. He wants us to know about him. Not just little bits and pieces, facts that we learn, but actually know Him, relate to Him, have a relationship with Him. And that's, that's the teaching God who, who is all about not only doing, but helping you and me to understand. And so whether it's the book of Jonah we looked at for several weeks or the book of Acts, what we find in the Bible is a God who wants to be understood. We, we can't understand everything about him, but he wants to be understood. He wants us to understand what he's like and who he is. And so Jesus, when he walked among us, worked miracles 
He showed incredible love and kindness in his, all of his doings. And he also taught us. And what he began to do in the Gospels, he continued to do right through the book of Acts. And he continues to do to this day. That's why Christianity is about making disciples. It's making students, those who relate to the Lord and are growing in relationship with the Lord. That's the the God whom we worship. That's the God whom we meet in Luke. That's the God whom we meet in the book of Acts. And Luke actually says that... uh, That as Jesus was with his disciples, verse 2, he commanded them to do some things. And he also presented himself to them after his suffering by many proofs. He appeared to them. And then notice how verse uh, 3 ends, speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus wants us to understand what God is like. Jesus taught and spoke about what the kingdom of God is like. More than that, not only what it's like, he wanted to bring us to his kingdom. He wanted us to to understand his kingdom and the role it has in relationship to us. Uh, One of the points Paul Fowler made back in January of 2020 is that that there are many different aspects to the kingdom of God. And and all of these are shown through the book of Luke and in the book of Acts and throughout the Bible. One is the idea of the, the, the kingdom of God, generally speaking, that there is a sovereign God. He reigns over the world. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And so the kingdom of God really, in a sense, wraps up the kingdom of the one who reigns over everything. And so that the God whom we worship, the God who we'll see in the conclusion of the book of Acts is this sovereign God who reigns over the whole world in the most, the broadest possible terms. So the kingdom of God, generally speaking. There's also the kingdom of God speaking very particularly. The, the church, the, the covenant community, the people of God who are called to himself, who live in relationship with him. We are now part of that kingdom. We're, the, we're the, with Christ the first fruits of that kingdom. It's interesting to think of the church as the, the, the visible manifestation of this kingdom that is emerging, that's coming forth more and more and more visible. We're part of that. That's what we see in Acts is is this growing awareness of the particular kingdom of God uh, that we see in Christ's community, the church. Paul talked about it being the, the present. Jesus says that by his coming into the world, the kingdom of God has in a very significant way begun. It is here now. Uh, we don't always see it, but it's always here. There's, there's a, a sense in which all things are under his reign right now. And that's the basis for our hope and our confidence in mission. We, we go forth confidently because right now God reigns over everything. And then finally, there's a sense in which one day, one day, it will be completely revealed to us. The book of Revelation is all about that. 
The book of Revelation is about the revealing of that kingdom. Not that it just begins in the book of Revelation, but that in Revelation, what has begun will be shown to the world and all creation will see it. It's not something done off in a corner where only a few people will know about it. There will come a day, and Daniel made reference to this in his prayer, uh, we're seven days closer to that great day when the kingdom will be revealed in its fullness. And so Jesus began to teach about that, and he continues to teach about that today. He did it through the book of Acts, through the work of the apostles, in their unique, extraordinary way, the authoritative way where they shared what Jesus had taught them. And he is still doing it today through his church, his body. We're still teaching about God's kingdom. Verses 4 and 5 uh, describe uh, what Jesus uh, said to his disciples, uh, this, this 40 days where he spoke to them. Can you imagine a 40-day Bible study with Jesus? That would be something, wouldn't it? 40 days where Jesus taught the apostles about the kingdom. And now, millennia later, we're still learning what Jesus taught the apostles about the kingdom and what his word tells us about the kingdom. While staying with them, it says in verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Uh, Jesus taught about the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the empowering power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I want to just pause here. Here's one of those, one of those questions, one of those questions, right? Where you, you, know, you, you see the apostles in their spiritual immaturity. I mean, they've just spent 40 days in a Bible study with Jesus, learning about the kingdom. And yet, here they are with the resurrected Christ. He's, he's speaking to them about his departure. And yet, they're still not clear about the kingdom. When will you restore it? You, you can sort of get the idea in their head. They're looking for the, the conquering armies. They're still looking for the conquering armies, the horses that will ride in and throw the Romans out. We're not really told much about the, what they had come to understand at this point, but they still think it's a timeline that they can make notes about and put in their day timers and sort of, that's the date, that's the plan, let's get ready for that. And Jesus, in verse 7, says, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I just want to pause with that question and that response in the context of thinking about God as the, as the teaching God. The teaching God is thankfully also the patient God. He's a very patient God. He was patient with Jonah, wasn't he? You know, chapter 4 of Jonah, as we saw last week, was Jonah at his, well, it wasn't his finest moment. 
in Jonah chapter 4. I think I used the word pouting. I might have used the word whining a few times. Um, Barb Fowler. This is a Fowler sermon. Um, Barb came up to me after the service, as she sometimes does. She said, Bill, you kind of went on a little bit about pouting and whining. <laughs> and I think I did. And, and I do think Jonah pouted and whined. But, you know, God didn't treat him like he pouted and whined. God is very patient with us. He is so incredibly patient with us. It's impossible for me to kind of imagine the tone, quote-unquote, when God speaks to Jonah, as it's impossible for me to envision here Jesus' tone when he's speaking to his disciples who've just finished the 40-day Bible study. They come to him with their immature question, their, their question they're trying to understand. And rather than flipping out or getting disagreeable or somehow getting angry with them, he just answered them. <laughs> That's the God we see in the, the scriptures. That's the way God teaches. I mean, he uses strong words, but it's coming from the loving, patient heart of a father to his beloved child. Whatever else we know about how, jo how the Lord talked to Jonah, whatever else we know about how Jesus talked to his disciples, we know it came with love. He loves us. And he's, he's not indifferent about whether we come to understand, but he's patient with us. He loves us. And I am so very glad that the God whom we worship uh, is a patient God. He's a patient God, and I am so very glad that he is. I want to be a patient preacher, a patient pastor, because let me tell you, brothers and sisters, God has been incredibly patient with me. And I want to be that kind of pastor and I know you want to be that kind of parent, that kind of spouse, that kind of worker. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we could grow like Jesus in our patience with one another? So, uh, the doing God is the teaching God. And we're going to see that right through the book of Acts, that God reveals himself through his word. He's teaching. He's helping us to know what he's like, who he is, what he does. And then finally, verse 7, and this will be my last point. We have the doing God, the teaching God, and finally, verse 7, the witnessing church. Uh, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, a court mentioned uh, the passage from um, Isaiah 43, verse 10. Uh, here, the Lord Jesus, as only the Lord Jesus can, takes Isaiah's prophetic word in the Old Testament and expands it in a mind-blowing way. 
And he does it in this geographical lesson. He says, you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, that's the, the country around Jerusalem, in Samaria, that's the old northern kingdom where Jonah used to live. Samaria, which by the time of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 had become a different religion. It really was a separate thing and the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. And yet Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Samaria. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. You will be my, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. What an amazing thing for Jesus to say to this little group of hodgepodge Bible study students who still don't really completely get it. He says, you're going to be empowered and you will be my witnesses. A simple indicative. You will be my witnesses. He doesn't give a commandment. Actually, he, he has given them a commandment. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. It actually makes references to commandments here in Acts chapter 1. Jesus did give commandments to his apostles in verse 2. But here he doesn't focus on the commandment. He focuses on the reality that what he has commanded will happen through them. I mean, that's, that's amazing. What a remarkable thing to say. You will be this. They haven't given much evidence of it so far. But by the book of, end of the book of Acts, we can begin to see how Peter, who had betrayed Christ and had so many silly questions and, and showed so much lack of understanding, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, preaches the inaugural sermon of the church as, as Peter stands and explains what the teaching God wants us to understand. That's, that's what a preacher does. That's, that's how preaching is different from speaking. Uh, a preacher's job is to help understand, to apply and to help understand. That's my job description. That's every preacher's job description. And that was that was. Peter's job description in Acts chapter 2. And then, then over and over again we see Paul, who like Jonah is sent with a message, but unlike Jonah, Paul went. He, he had his own season of resisting, and rather than simply running away from God, Paul persecuted the church. But when God said, go to the Gentiles, go to the nations, Paul went. Paul went, Acts chapter 16, begins to describe the Gentile mission, the fulfillment of what Jesus promised in the very first chapter. Actually, this little promise here in, in this section in, in verse 7 reads, uh, in 8, reads a little bit like a, a description of the whole book of Acts. It's almost like an outline of what's about to happen. It really did come to pass. What Jesus commanded was really fulfilled in these imperfect sinners. They really did it. No one was more amazed than they were. And it's like an outline of the mission progression of the church. Even down to this day, 
You know, when, when these words were first spoken millennia ago, the end of the world, the end of the earth, uh, didn't mean quite what it does today because we know all about the crazy world where we live. We know details about other cultures and other countries and, and we know about Antarctica and we know about all the different diverse countries of the world that, that the apostles at this early stage couldn't have imagined. But guess what? We're seeing still this powerful mission progression today. As the gospel goes through Europe and Asia and Africa and, and uh, all across diverse Asia. Uh, there are missiologists who say that it won't be all that long before there will be more Christians in China than in most other cr- countries in the world. It's the Holy Spirit does what only the doing God can do. Who is more powerful than superpowers. Is more, more powerful than the powerful nations of the world. Who, who goes where he wants to go and takes the gospel where he wants to take the gospel. Just notice that we are the witnessing church. It's not something we're... we're commanded to be we, we are commanded to be it but the fact is in Jesus's way of describing it it's, it's actually what we are that is what the church is the church is the witnessing church there is no other church we're, we're either being what the church is to be or we're failing to be exactly what the church is to be but he's at work among us changing us conforming us making us what he wants us to be uh, I just want to mention a, a few illustrations that have been on my mind this week. You know, we've, we've got this great mission team that Kathleen's put in place, and they, they have done a phenomenal job every single Sunday for the past, uh, I think we took one Sunday off, didn't we? Most every Sunday for the past six weeks, uh, we've been having missionary after missionary after missionary coming in, and explaining how our little church is taking the gospel to Lebanon and Papua New Guinea and and other places in this crazy world where we live today. Missionaries from Metrocrest are taking the gospel, witnessing to the Lord. Um, And it's happening locally too. This is, is, I think, uh, the mission team's, one of their special prayers. I know it's CJ and Teresa Abood's special prayers that that what we're doing internationally, we will seek to do more and more and more right here at home. That the mission to the ends of the earth uh, begins here in our hometown, our Jerusalem, uh, the place where we are. We, we witness to our neighbors. We witness to the people who work across the street, live across the street, uh, do business across the street. We do ministry, mission here among our neighbors. And that's been something that I've been very interested in thinking and praying about as well. And uh, just this week, uh, I went over to Pulsar Elementary. Metrocrest has been involved with Pulsar for many years. And I went over there. I just thought, well, school's starting in two weeks. I'm going to go introduce myself. And so I went by to meet the uh, the. Um, principal of the school and I was walking in thinking oh my goodness I hope this goes well you know we all hear these stories about how public education is opposed to 
Christian ministry, and there, there's truth in that. It's not always easy in America in the 21st century to take the gospel into public schools. You all know about those realities. There are all kinds of restrictions and controls. And so I was honestly uh, kind of uh, anxious about it walking into the little elementary school around the corner from here. It's a block and a half from where we're sitting this morning. I walked in the door. Number one, they could not have been nicer. Jocelyn, the school secretary, met me. She got the principal to come out who could not have been nicer. And uh, I was just thinking, what are, what, how are we, Lord, where is this going to go? What, will, they let us, will they let us participate here at Pulsar? Will they, will they allow us to, to serve the community? And uh, Jocelyn, the secretary, said, oh, here comes the school guidance counselor. She's the person who will oversee any kind of involvement. And uh, the, Jocelyn, I could already tell, was already a little bit of a, of a friend and an ally. And she was kind of thinking, how, how can we make this work? And so in walked Patty Stinson, the new uh, guidance counselor. She's literally just starting, uh, I think, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And her first week uh, in the office is, is this next week. And Patty came walking in. And she came walking up put her hand out to shake my hand, and I couldn't help but notice her T-shirt. And her T-shirt said, He moves mountains. Uh, Matthew 17, verse 20. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Here I'd come in thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? What arms do we have to twist? What bribes do we have to offer? And... uh, Patty started telling me about all the different ways we could be involved. She'd worked for a college ministry. Uh, She's a young Christian. And I thought, Lord, here I am thinking, what can we do? How can we start something? And God is miles ahead. (laughs) He's putting people in place and opening doors and arranging things and making it possible for even us in our weakness, and we're a little church, and who cares about us, and all those things which we can sometimes dwell on. That may be true about us, but it's not true about him. We have a sovereign God, a doing God, who cares about people learning about him and having t-shirts that proclaim his word to the world. He cares about that, and he's, he's already doing it. It's really us sort of beginning to catch up with him, to, to be what we are, to be the witnessing church. And so I've had a great week. So you ask, Daniel, you ask whether it's been a great week or a hard week. Well, it's kind of been both, uh, but it's been a great week. And I, I was so overjoyed to see um, how God is already at work in this school, which I hope will wind up being a fruitful mission opportunity for MetroCrest in the time ahead. Lots and lots of things to iron out, lots of details. I don't have any details, but I can give you a great early report. We're not going into unfriendly territory where they're against us. I think we're actually going to a place where we can pray for and expect some really interesting opportunities. I also want to mention when we think about mission and this doing God that we worship, Uh, about how it impacts each one of us. Uh, Court mentioned how they use uh, at Launch Global something called a multiplication model. 
I love that, by the way. This is a, this is a different way of thinking about mission. It's, it's where missionaries go to come alongside Christians in the church to help the church be the witnessing church, to encourage them, to support them and help them. And Court, the other night, was sharing about her friend Noor and uh, Hullah uh, <laughs> and, uh, and about how just through the relationship of talking to these women, how they've begun to respond to the gospel and how they're asking questions. Now, these are people who come from a very different background. Very different background. Who, through the witness of one woman, born and raised here at Metrocrest, who's been teaching about Jesus and how they have turned and begun to Walk the life of discipleship. It's a beautiful encouragement to me. You know what? If that could happen in Beirut, Lebanon, don't you think it can happen here in Carrollton? Doesn't the multiplication model work here? If it works there, it'll work here, right? Um, you mentioned a horrible week. Well, you know, one family has had a very, very, very horrible week. Uh, David and, and Marlene Wamsley uh, have had a horrible week. Uh, they've had COVID and other health issues, and they've swapped places in and out of the hospital. I have been so grateful to Jay and the Sheets family and the Sterenbergs and the Aboods and others who have just come right alongside and tried to minister to the Walmsleys. Uh, what a lovely couple. I, I just love David and Marlene. They've, they've been one of the highlights for me here at Metrocrest. Now, I was thinking about David and Marlene. Um, they're not spring chickens anymore. They're mature. I can't think of someone more committed to the multiplication model than David and Marlene Wamsley. Um, I mean, it's kind of a race at Metrocrest. Who's going to be the first person to invite the new person to lunch? You know, by the time I get around inviting someone to lunch, David and Marlene have already had him in for tea, probably twice. (laughs) And every time I I reach out to a newcomer and say, hi, welcome to Metrocrest, it seems like more often than not, they say, oh, yeah, David and Marlene have already had us over to their home, and Colin uh, Colton moved in and lived with them. I mean, that's just the kind of people they are. I thought, Lord, make me a little bit more like that. Make us a little bit more like that. We're all different people. We all have different personalities. That's fine. That's true. But wouldn't you like to be a little more like that? I know I would. I would love to be a little more like that. We've got lots of people at Metrocrest who do that. But I'd like to be a church like that. I'd like to be a church that just throws our arms around people, despite the challenges, throws our arms around people and shows them the love of Jesus, teaches them the truth, tells them the truth. We don't water anything down, but we do it all with the patience and the love and the kindness of the sovereign God we worship and that we get to know better in the book of Acts. That is what he is like, and my prayer is that is what we will be like more and more and more and more as he conforms us to the perfect image of the perfect Jonah, Jesus Christ.